said, um, let's read a scripture for today. It's found in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest places and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. And all of God's people say, Amen. Thank you, Bach. Many of you don't know that when I started here just a few months ago, uh, I had heard, found out after the fact that you had a relationship and a partnership with uh, Bach and Heidi Chu in the ministry to the international students. I was so excited. And Bach and I have been colleagues over the years and have been friends and have worked together uh, in ministry. And so uh, it was a no-brainer for me to come and have him share about the ministry and to extend gratitude, especially to uh, Sonny and Arlene over here who have worked diligently with him in presenting the gospel and, and nurturing um, the faith in international students that, that come here. I once was an international student to another place, so I understand the significance and the importance uh, of that. Uh, on this World Communion Sunday, I was probably um, a fairly good fit uh, to come and share with you because I've sort of had my travels around the world. I've been to different places. I have friends that are uh, in different countries. Uh, some of it, I've met some of the friends that I've met here and uh, some from my experiences overseas. I was uh, an international student, as I said, in Austria and met a lot of people um, during my undergraduate studies there and uh, served as a missionary in Haiti for a few years as well. And so 
um, having that um, world experience, I've been able to experience how God works in all different kinds of places and among all different kinds of people. And it's just very special to me. I couldn't help both services. I started crying. I'm a crier uh, during worship when they're reading the scriptures. Uh, And so uh, I'm just, uh, it's really, really meaningful uh, to me. One of my first experiences with someone from a different place was when I was in high school, actually. Uh, One of my friends was, had started to date an uh, an exchange student, an international student from from Mexico. She was a sweet young lady and just learning the English language. And on top of learning the, like the the normal English language, she had to figure out the the way we Americans talk, you know, with the the nuances and the slang and, and all of those different things. And so communication was difficult at times. And one time my friend's mom was talking to uh, this young lady and she didn't understand what my friend's mom was saying and so she just politely asked, would you repeat what you just said? And so just by instinct, my friend's mom repeated what she said but she said it at a much higher volume. (laughs) And suddenly my friend chimes back and he says, mom, she's not deaf. And isn't it funny how sometimes we feel the need to increase our volume, but hearing was never the issue in the first place. Case in point, have you ever gotten into an argument? Have you ever found yourself raising your voice and increasing the volume after things get a little emotional, or you feel like you're not being heard, or feeling like your, your feelings have been hurt? You know, there's a, there's a big difference uh, in... Um, raising the volume so that someone else can hear versus so that you can be heard or you feel like you're not being heard. There's been a lot of noise going on lately amongst social media and over the airwaves. Many of you might be familiar with it. And it seems like the volume has has been raised a couple notches um, if, you're not, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you're in a great place. <laughs> Maybe I can give you a little rundown. Last year, there was an NFL football player that decided to take a knee during the singing of the national anthem to raise awareness in protest of uh, the lives of African Americans that were lost at the hands of police. And many of you can remember this, and you remember the state of the nation as it exists today and it was back, back then. But that protest created a reaction, and that reaction created another reaction, and that reaction was a reaction to the reaction to the reaction. Fast forward to this year's NFL season, the Browns still stink, and other, hey, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a diehard fan, and I die every week. <clears throat> There's still some players that decided to take a knee during the national anthem, which created a reaction, which created a reaction, which created a reaction, which caused our present to react, which caused 500 other reactions and reactions and reactions, and each time the volume keeps getting louder and louder, and I have to tell you, it just seems like noise. And I didn't say this to get you all riled up or to get political or any of that, But just to highlight, it seems as though we live in a place and we live in a culture that has an appetite for the instant reaction. And I find myself, as much as anyone, falling into this at times. The 
The times when something just that is flagrant that just faces you and it's just that temptation to respond right then in the instant. And if we keep going on through these reactions and, and through these reactions, the noise gets louder and louder and suddenly I... Uh, maybe you're like me, and suddenly I come to this place, and I say, well, who's steering this ship anyway? <laughs> I mean, who, who's driving this? And, and where in the world am I heading? Where am I going? The, the Philippian church, the, the gathering of believers in the city of Philippi, they were facing a lot of external pressures. Uh, it was not easy being a Christian at that time and in that place. And you might have heard a little bit of this when we had our series on the book of Acts, and Pastor Steve talked about the city, I believe, of Philippi. Philippi was set aside as sort of a military colony for all of the Roman soldiers that had fought alongside uh, Octavian Augustus after, uh, during the Civil War. There was a civil war uh, in the Roman Empire. Octavius uh, came out ahead, and he was the new emperor, Augustus, and all of the loyal soldiers and military people that had been with him, they sort of resettled in this area of Philippi. And what was interesting to note um, about how people viewed the emperor of Rome in that day, there was a sort of a divinity to the way that people saw the emperor of Rome. And so it was very common, and in fact expected, that people would address the emperor as their lord and their savior. Well, for those of us that have been in church a long time, we, we sing and we talk about our lord and our savior, and it's not the emperor of Rome, right? And the early Christians, they came in, and the church was growing, and it was spreading, and people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and they were becoming baptized and transformed in his name, and it was amazing. And suddenly, they had a new lord and savior. And you can imagine that that caused a little bit of a stir in that place and in that time. Well, that wasn't the only pressure that they were facing from the, uh, uh, in that day amongst the church. There were also these opponents of their leader, Paul. And Paul's the one that wrote the letter to the Philippians that we uh, read from. And there were opponents that were going around the region, following Paul around to discredit him, to tell him, oh, you know, he's just not, he's making nonsense, he, he's not really with it and trying to reorient them to what they claimed was the real gospel. And particularly, this was, um, their way of understanding it was that um, a, a new believer who was a Gentile needed to go through the usual traditions and rites and rituals that the Jewish believers had gone through, come to faith. You know, Jesus was Jewish after all, and, and all of that. And it's surrounded mainly around this issue of this, act of, of circumcision. And so there's a lot of back and forth about this sort of thing. What should Gentiles do? What does it really mean? And, you know, all of that. Uh, this is a particular note in, for the Philippians, though, because most of the church um, ha was made up of Gentiles uh, in, that, in that day. And so they're facing these pressures, not only from the the Roman military and the people in this, uh, the Roman, um, uh, the predominant 
uh, driver of culture and the ones that were really in charge, but then also these opponents that were trying to discredit Paul and create divisions within the church. And instead of facing those, and they did a lot of facing of those adversities, but one of the ways in which they reacted to the pressures that were coming from the outside was that they began to turn on one another. And they became divided. And they began to argue. And they began to nitpick. And they began, some decided that they were more important than the others. And others decided that they were more important than the others. And here's Paul wanting to speak into that situation because he had a, a very fond affection for the Philippian church. But he was feeling kind of helpless because Paul was sitting in a prison in Rome. And if you read through the entire book of Philippians, you kind of get this feeling that Paul might sense that his life might be coming to an end. He doesn't know how much time he has left. And so he's desperate to get one last correspondence out to the Philippian church and speak into this, this issue. When he was in prison, uh, the Philippian church sent someone with a gift to, to offer to Paul in prison, and Paul wanted to send a correspondence through this man back to them, but this man became gravely ill while he was in Rome visiting Paul, and so there's this sort of desperation coming up, and Paul doesn't know if these are going to be his last words to the Philippian people. And so it's in that setting that he, gre- he, he speaks into this situation, especially in verse uh, 1 and 2. He said, if then there is any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any uh, tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Get that sense of parting words. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He's saying, be united. Be unified. Be unified. We often define unity and unifying in a lot of different ways. Through all the different definitions, there seems to be sort of two main categories that how we commonly would define unity or being unified. The first is just having basic common ground, right? If you were to cross someone uh, or meet someone for the first time and you find that you might have a few things in common and you look and say, hey, I, I think I could be that person's friend. And maybe it's uh, the same age or the same season of life or the same understanding of things. Maybe it's political. Maybe it has to do with your faith. All kinds of ways in which people gather together uh, through common ground. They find a cross-section where they say, you know, I can connect with someone on this level. It's those kind of determinations that people make in dating as to whether or not they're going to go on that, that second date, right? Do I have anything in common with this person? I think that's why some of the um, dating sites are, are popular. Not the sketchy ones, but, you know, the, the dating sites are popular because they filter through those cross-sections, those connecting points. They help you find that, that common ground. And so in many ways, that's how we define unity. We find that one thing that we have in common, and we, we, we are bonded on that thing. 
But the other part of it, the other side of the coin, is how we treat one another. The respect and the love and the honor that we give to one another. I mean, you can have uh, everything in the world in common with a person, but if they don't treat you right, I mean, you're not going to hold hands and sing kumbaya. So whether it's those cross-sections and those, those common things, that common ground, or how we treat one another, typically that's what makes up this, this idea of unity for, for most of us. But there are limits to that understanding of unity. If we just wait and find the cross-sections and those things that we hold in common and we withhold the idea of connecting with people based on those things, then what happens to the people where we don't have common ground? What happens to the people where we don't understand where they're coming from? What happens for the people that live so far away from me and live a certain life that I'll never fully understand or speak a different language that I'll never know? What happens to connecting in that way? What happens to unity in those situations? And then what happens if we don't treat each other the way we, we want to? What if we hurt one another? What if we, we harm one another? Where's unity's place when that happens? You see, there's limits to the way that we often define unifying and unity together. And Jesus highlights this in Luke chapter 6. He says, if you love those who just love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to repay, be repaid in full. And then he goes in to say, but love your enemies. You see, there's a different transcendent ethic that Christ calls us into, that Paul is relaying here. Now, all of this is really important, I think, on World Communion Sunday. Because on World Communion Sunday, we grasp or attempt to grasp a vision of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is filled with all kinds of different colors and perspectives and languages and tribes and tongues and people. People that are different than us. People that go far beyond our understanding. People that we will never meet until we get to be with God in eternity with him. There are all kinds of, there's all kinds of difference a world of difference in our vision of the kingdom of God. And maybe, just maybe, someone that votes different than you will be in that vision as well. It's important on this World Communion Sunday when we grasp a vision of all kinds of different people that we understand the kind of unity that God is, is calling us to beyond our common understanding of what it means to have just that, that, that common ground or just treating each other with mutual love and respect. Did you see, catch what Paul had said? He said, if you have any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation from love, 
And if you have any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and any sympathy, if you have those things, and it's our natural inclination to say, well, if we have those things, then we're good, right? Then, then we've got it. We're, we're unified. And he says, if you have those things, then there's something more. Then there's another place, another level, a new ethic that we take on in being unified together. To be of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. To be the same in our minds, the same in our love. Well, that's where our word unity comes from. It comes from the, the word actual one. <laughs> Not many that happen to have cross sections and something in common or treat each other well, but that we become one in Jesus Christ. It's the same language that I used yesterday. I was performing a wedding for a childhood friend, and I talked about how God's design for marriage is where husband and wife, too, would become one through God's grace and God's work. We are our one. And so that new as one, that new ethic or that transcendent way of how we achieve unity moves from just a human reaction into a divine imitation. A human reaction into a divine imitation, specifically the imitation of Christ. You might have noticed in verse 5 of chapter 2, after saying all of these things to be the same, and then he says, let the same mind, the same mindset, or in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. And what's really neat uh, what follows, and you may notice this if you're reading in your Bible, that the way in which the, 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 way in which the scripture is, um, is written changes, kind of looks like a, a poem of sorts. What follows is a common hymn that the early Christians had been singing to one another, a hymn that would remind them the very nature of Jesus that they were following, a Jesus who had the same, the fullness of God within himself, the full expression of God the Father, the creator of the universe, all of God packed into a human being, and then taking that authority, taking that power, taking that majesty, and humbling himself to the point of death on the cross. Who through Jesus Christ, who through he was the one form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. from human reaction to divine imitation. 
Paul talks to the Ephesians. If you just flip one page over for me. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses, um, verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The cool thing about uh, Christ, imi- the imitation of Christ and, and imitating what Christ started and initiated for us is that we can keep God and we can keep Christ in the driver's seat. <laughs> that instead of having to figure everything out or feeling the need that we need to respond as if we're going to help the situation or reacting to this or reacting to that, we keep God on the throne and we keep God and Christ in the driver's seat And we fix our eyes on him and seek throughout our whole lives to imitate that very nature of Christ who, through the power of God, humbled himself and sacrificed himself for us. Our daughter, Josephine, who's like eight eight months old, I think. Time goes so fast. Um, recently was diagnosed with hip dysplasia, which um, means one of her hips didn't form all the right way, and so she has to wear a harness to uh, help her hip form um, the, the correct way. And it's, it's really inconvenient for us, but she seems to be doing okay. Um, one of the funny things that happened recently is uh, part of the harness, there's a fabric that goes over her feet, over her toes. And she fidgets with her, her little toes. And she has fidgeted a hole. She has fidgeted a hole in, in that little sock or that piece, piece of fabric. And when that happened, uh, my wife Amanda just looked at me because, um, just a little confession, um, I have an exorbitant amount of holes in my socks because, you know, ADHD and just uh, I fidget with my toes. And it was really funny. It was just really comical, and Amanda just gives me one of those looks like, she's your daughter, she's your daughter, you know, and you know, when you become a parent, you kind of realize that, you know, they're going to model after you, your kids are going to model after you, and, and do all of that, but then when it starts to happen, you get really scared, wow, this is a huge responsibility, right, because they're going to do the things that I do, and say the things that, that I say, and that's scary for me. scary for me, but it's liberating and it's freeing to be imitators of Christ who is perfect in every way, who is the grand creator, who knows all things and who lavishes us with his love and his grace and his mercy. See, when we become imitators, we then allow God to be the initiator. We put God in the driver's seat. We put Christ on the throne and let him work it out. Uh, In 1 John 4.19, it says, we love, why? Because he first loved us. God goes before and he set the ultimate example of love 
by taking all of who he was and humbling himself at the cross. Now, while this was not a role that we could never fulfill, we cannot um, outdo the brokenness and the sin and the shame that we have uh, and have had in our lives. There is no replacing what Christ has done first and foremost for us and through us. But through that sacrificial love, he has also set the example and has invited us to take up our own cross as well. To model that same servanthood, that same love, that same grace, that same mercy, that same kindness, and to be of the same attitude and mindset as him. So in a few minutes, we're going to be sharing in, in Holy Communion. And um, when, we, when we take communion, uh, we, we do so with the idea that we're going to remember. And we, we say that we remember not in such a way that maybe we forgot, although that might be the case. But we remember um, not just what Christ did, but we remember that invitation to live the Christ-like life and to follow his example. And as we enter into the, his love, we then can share his love to the entire world. I'm gonna ask our ushers to get ready now for uh, serving communion. The story goes like this, that on the night that Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed, beginning the event of his death and torture, he sat down with his disciples for a meal and he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. And he passed it around and, and after they took the bread, he took a cup and he said, this is the blood that I will shed for you. This is the blood of a new covenant. And as often as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, do this in remembrance of me. And so we share in order to remember, to place ourselves as beneficiaries of that sacrificial act that through Jesus' death on the cross, our sins are washed away and we are reconciled back to God. And it's through that reconciliation and through that love that we are ambassadors to go and spread that same love, having the same mind of Christ to the world. Let's pray together. God, bless and sanctify this time. Make it holy. We lay before you our sin, our shame, our brokenness. And in confidence, we trust in your grace, in your mercy, established and set forth by Jesus, who died for our sake. Thank you, Lord. We are eternally grateful. 
bless us now as we come before you. And Lord, if there are those of us who feel hesitant because of all that we've maybe said or have done maybe this week, Lord, let us trust in the power of your love and your grace that that is far greater, that's far greater, far greater than any divisions, any reactions we're not happy with or ashamed of. Your love and your grace is far greater. So we come before you. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The ushers will come by and they will pass you a piece of bread. If you would hold on to that piece of bread, and as a symbol of our unity, we will share together with the bread and we'll do likewise with the cup as well. Let's spend some time with God in Holy Communion.
the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat.
This is the blood of Christ, the blood that is shed for you. Take and drink. Would you stand with me? Let's sing that last chorus together. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing. So as you have received the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. You have been washed white as snow. Go forth now and extend that same love and that same grace with the same mindset of Jesus Christ our Lord so that the world would know his love. Go in peace.